Good evening, everybody. We ask that you now please silence your phones. I'm very happy that you all made it here in person this evening. It is time to celebrate and make much of our God. Let us take advantage of this time together in worship. We are here from 5 to 6.30, so let us not let this time get away from us with distractions. Let us do these things together in praying, hearing the word of God, taking communion with fellow believers, and singing. For a quick layout of the room, to your right, my left, is the, the woman's room. To your left, my right, is the men's room. In the uh, back corner, we have the bookstore where you can purchase numerous uh, varieties of books. And then the back table as well has coffee, tea, water, and then there's some bottles up here as well. Um, if you would like to give an offering or have a prayer request, we have a small black box up here of which you can put that into. Or to give online, you just go to eternalcity.org. We are also here to multiply passionate love for Jesus Christ and those made in his image. And we do this by making disciples, making disciples, unifying people, training and challenging men to lead sacrificially, equipping women for ministry, and planting churches, planting churches. Thank you. That's better. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all and rolling in as we speak. A couple quick announcements before we jump in. I know some of you are really excited for the halftime show tonight, and so we're going we're gonna to wrap it up before halftime, okay? I promise. <laughs> Can't have you missing Usher tonight. It's a big deal. All right. So let's jump right into the announcements. Um, the ladies' Bible study, which is focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Grove ministry. This is the focus on um, equipping women for ministry that you just heard from Chase. Uh, this starts 2.17, and so uh, 2.11 is your uh, last day to sign up, which means you need to let them know today, okay? Today's the cutoff. And so if you want to do this, and you are a woman, and you're here, uh, and you're a regular attender of Eternal City, please let us know you want to do this so we can get you on the list and signed up. Uh, Elizabeth Rue is to my back left. Elizabeth, put your hand up there. If, if, if you're unfamiliar with who Elizabeth is, just sign up with her. Uh, and then this is going to start in one week, okay, on Saturday. And so we would love for you to be there. We would love for you to be a part of this. Uh, the women will be going through the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. And there's a, a, a multiplicity of women who call ECC their home who are going to be teaching and helping to lead this. And I'm excited for it to start. And you should be too if you're a lady. So make sure you see Elizabeth if you haven't already. And, and this coming Saturday is the start date. Uh, just a reminder, childcare is not provided. And so you do need to take care of the kids uh, with, with a parent or a guardian or a babysitter. Um, so that's that. Uh, next, we have our prayer meeting every Sunday from 4 to 4.45 in the room right next to the nursery. So down the hallway, up the steps, uh, first door on the right is the nursery. The next one to the left is the prayer room. So if you would like to come and pray for the church, 
pray for ministries of the church, pray for uh, the influence of Eternal City in Wilkinsburg and the surrounding areas, uh, and pray that God would move. Please come and pray with us. We would love to have you. Um, Tim and Diane Hunsberger lead this prayer meeting every single Sunday, and, and they would love to have you. We would love to have you. So please come and pray with us. Uh, it, it's good when God's people meet together to pray, and especially when there are two or three gathered, uh, God shows up. Now, I do understand that text is in the context of church discipline, but that is true, that when, when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, agreeing in prayer, God shows up, and He often shows up for His glory in powerful ways. So, we would invite you to come and pray with us. Uh, the Foundry met on Friday for the first time, and uh, there was a lot of guys here. And what was astonishing was when I looked at the list of those who signed up, even though this room was full of men, there were still men who didn't make it. And so some of you are here tonight. Uh, please see me before you leave. I want to give you the schedule here. And I want to give you another paper that has the goals and priorities. In addition, we will be going through a book until summer. And this is the book. It's in the, the back bookstore there on the left. Uh, it's called How God Makes Men. And I think this retails at like 17, it's, it's $11 in the bookstore, and so we, we have it discounted there for you. So the Foundry is, is launched, and it's online. There was a ton of you participating today on, on the encrypted Signal app, which we've dedicated to that. Uh, many of you were on the Zoom this morning praying, which was really exciting. I love it when men come together for discipleship, encouragement, prayer, discipleship. And, and if, men, if you're not a part of this, this is for you. Okay, if you're a part of this church or you want to be a part of this church and you're new to the church and you're a man, please join the foundry. We, we welcome you. Come on in. Come talk to me afterward and I will give you all the necessary uh, equipping. Uh, in addition, you get this little gift, this, this fantastic little notebook for you to keep notes in and, and little uh, journaling opportunities. This is a limited edition and so in 50 years, this is going to be worth hundreds of dollars. So I would keep this close, man. If you got one, treat it like gold. Frame it, perhaps, you know? All right, let's move on. The ECC Bookstore has new books even this week. So again, almost every week, to the detriment of our treasurer, new books show up in the bookstore. <laughs> just kidding. He loves it when the new books show up. It's just a great temptation for him every time new books come. It's hard for Pete to resist purchasing the new books, right, Pete? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so seriously, if... Every week, new books are showing up, and, and we want you to read the books. I mean, it's nice to have a collection of books to look at, and you feel like you're the Amazon warehouse, but we'd rather you read them. And so please, get, get some books. There are a ton of good children's books. Honestly, I'll be honest with you, I wish, I, I hoped that we had a resource like this when I was a new Christian in, in the former church I was a part of. Uh, I had to figure out what were good books, what were good authors, who were the you know gospel-centered biblically orthodox. Uh, I, I was just finding my way in the wilderness of, of theological resources. And we've done a lot of that work for you. Uh, and if you want to visit the back bookstore and, or ask any of the elders or anyone who's regular here, we could direct you to some good books. Uh, but for now, we're going to start worship. So if you could please stand. Please stand. We're going to read Scripture together, and then we're going to further worship the Lord through song. And so as soon as we're done reading Scripture together, we're going to launch into the song portion of our worship gathering. Come on out, Mackenzie.
Hi, everybody. Let's read this word together, coming from John chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. This is Jesus talking to a hostile crowd. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What is up, family? How are you? Everybody good? I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I know everybody's thinking about the Super Bowl. Maybe not. Oh, Chiefs. All right, we're going to start with holy, holy, holy.
us and let us worship you. I pray that you're pleased, Lord. Let us continue to worship you by hearing your word. Be with Pastor Chris as he delivers, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. And we're going to pray for the children and release them to ECC Kids and to the nursery. Uh, nursery is zero to four, and ECC Kids is ages five to 11. And so if you would please pray with me now for our children, let's send them back with God's blessing. Father, we pray that you would go with our children, God, the youngest among us, to those who are just learning about you, God learning who you are, learning what you have done for them in the person and work of Jesus. Father, we do pray that each child in this church would come to know you personally, savingly, eternally, that God, you would move on them by your Holy Spirit and cause new life, new spiritual life, Cause the new birth, God. Cause regeneration. We pray, move on our children. God, we can share the good news, and we must. We can model forgiveness and repentance, and we must. But, Father, you have to do the work by your Spirit, and we pray that you would use our working and work through it to do what only you can do and bring spiritual life. Fill our children with love for yourself, we pray. And we ask, be with the workers tonight, be with the helpers. Father, I pray that all, all of our children would feel and sense your love coming through them, and would it be by your Spirit's enabling. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Children, you are released. Children's workers, you are released. Parents, if you'd like to accompany them back to ECC Kids or the nursery, feel free. And we are continuing in the book of Exodus. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that we are traveling verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus, and we're going to finish chapter three tonight. Uh, this may be, may be one of the most epic portions of Exodus, but we'll probably say that with every sermon that comes, because <laughs> Exodus is quite an epic book. Um, and so, we're going to be starting in verse 13, traveling all the way to the end of the chapter. Now, remember the context here. If you haven't been here or if you were here over the last couple of weeks and forgot, Moses is in the wilderness tending sheep, his father Jethro, his father-in-law is Jeth Jethro. He's tending his sheep, shepherding the flock. And he sees a, a bush that is burning but not being consumed, and, and it gets his attention, and he says, I will go and see this thing. And the creator and sustainer of the universe begins to speak through that flame, and God talks to Moses, and, and Moses, remove your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy ground, and, and amazingly, Moses, a mere man like you and I, a human being with a nature like ours, has a, a physical, verbal conversation with the Creator. I mean, that's amazing. And what's beautiful for us is this took place millennia ago, and yet we get to break into this conversation 
because God has revealed this episode in his word. You realize without Moses writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, we, we wouldn't even know that this happened. This is between one man and the creator in the wilderness, and yet we get a window into this most epic incident. And so we should thank God for his word that reveals truth to us. And really, this whole episode here, this, this chapter three is about revelation. It's about God revealing himself to Moses, but then further, that revelation will expand to the children of Israel and then will expand to the New Testament uh, believers and, and through the ages will extend to us, the church, God's people. And so let's, let's break in on this continued conversation where Moses is talking to God. And so God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, who is a representative of God, uh, the Egyptian gods, and tell him to let my people go. Let them go. Let them come into the wilderness and, and worship me. And Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord and I like to leave these little footnotes in here because they're very important. I don't put all the footnotes in, but these ones are important for you to, to read along with me. The word Lord, when spelled with capital letters, stands for the divine name YHWH. We say Yahweh, which is here connected with the verb Hayah, to be, in verse 14. So let's read 15 again without the, the brackets. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, when we read in the New Testament, or even in Genesis, especially in the ESV and a lot of English translations, when you see Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, you know it's this name, Yahweh. And so maybe, maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't, but even in Genesis, this name shows up. And so th there's, there's an interesting kind of conundrum. What what is happening? Did, did Moses not know God's name, or was he unknown to the children of Israel, and, and Moses wrote back in to Genesis? Because remember, Moses wrote Genesis. 
Did he write back in this, this name because now he knows it? Uh, and so we don't really know, but we do know that this name, Yahweh, shows up in Genesis. And here, at minimum, Moses does not know his name. Whether he was unknown to this point uh, as Yahweh or not, we're not sure. But at least Moses says, who are you? What is your name? Who should I tell the children of Israel? Who, who should I tell them sent me to, to tell them to worship, to follow, to, to say that I was sent by? And he's fearful. If he says to the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what, what's his name? What is this name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You are to say, I am who I am. Okay? Now, this, this name, I am or Yahweh, is, is complex, and there is much nuance to it. I want to read you from Exodus scholar Kenneth Lang Harris. The divine name Yahweh suggests uh, to scholars a range of likely nuances. All right, here's, here's one, that God is self-existent and therefore not dependent on anything else for his own existence. And we know that's true. Okay? God is in a category all by himself. Nothing sustains him. He sustains everything else. You know, he, he is the power behind all living things. In him we live and move and have our being. God is self-sustaining and self-existence itself. And so perhaps I am could mean this, that he is sustained within himself, uncreated and not dependent on anything. If you're familiar with your Greek mythology, uh, the Greek gods were dependent on their worshipers. In fact, in, in a classic movie like uh, Clash of the Titans, you, you see that Zeus even gets weakened because people aren't praying. Okay? Yahweh is not like that. Okay? If the people fail to pray, if we're not in here singing his songs, he is not depleted in any way like a cell phone that you've been watching you know, videos on all day and you've got to plug it back in. God's not like, please, I need some worship. God does not need us. And isn't that a beautiful thing? In fact, Paul says to the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, the God who created anything, everything is not in need of anyone or anything. He is not dependent on us, for he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For in him we live and move and have our being. He doesn't need us. And so, that's beautiful because God chooses to let us in on what He's doing, and He chooses to use us to accomplish His purposes on the earth. God doesn't need us to worship, but He gives us the gift of worship because He knows we need to worship Him. That's the deal. It's not that he needs us to worship him. It's that we need to worship him. For we were created for this very thing, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so when we humble ourselves under his word, when we sing his songs, when we pray to him, when we have fellowship with our creator, 
we are fulfilling our purpose. And friends, if you are one who does not know this Yahweh, this one who reveals himself as I am, as later the New Testament would define Yahweh as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you do not know this God, you are missing the purpose for which you were created. It's a big deal. And know it or not, you are seeking to fill this this void in your life with all manner of created things. Family, friendship, possessions, experiences, vacations, Super Bowl experiences. And interestingly, you know it by experience, none of it satisfies. But here's what we imagine. We imagine that, oh, if I could just have a little more or a different experience or in a different way or with a different person or, and yet every time it has failed in the past, shouldn't logically you say to yourself, the next one isn't going to do it either? But we don't because this is the power of sin. Sin has this massive blinding effect on us that makes us think if I could just have a little more or a little better or a little faster or a little newer, then I'd be happy. But it hasn't worked yet, has it? Friends, you need God in your life to fill that void that's like a black hole and He alone is big enough to fill it. You are going after smaller glory and it cannot fill the void within you because you were created for him. And as Augustine says, friends, you will not be satisfied until you find your satisfaction in him. You won't. It's impossible. You made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you is what Augustine said in the Confessions. Friends, you need God. And so, amazingly, here we have Moses not looking for God, is he? He's not out with the sheep being like, where are you, Lord? Oh, reveal yourself to me, Lord. I've been searching you for 80 years. No, God shows up and finds Moses. And friends, that's the very thing that needs to happen to you. You actually need to have a Moses moment where God comes to you and he reveals himself for who he really is. He reveals that you are a creature and a sinful creature in need of the creator and a merciful, loving, forgiving creator at that. And as we progress in this message, we'll see how much God has revealed himself to us as we move through the 66 books of the Bible. And so, number one, God is not in need of anything, for He Himself supplies and gives life and breath and meaning and energy and existence to everything else. God is self-existent. Number two, that God is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. Number three, that God is immutable in his being and character, and thus is not in the process of becoming something different from what he is. Immutable, it means unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not like us. Okay, here's what we do. 
New Year's Day, we're like, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to eat celery and carrots, and it's salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then Super Bowl Sunday comes around, and it's like, ooh, nacho cheese and pretzels. And I haven't been to the gym for a week. Oh, well. Right? And, and we, we really follow our whims and emotions, don't we? One minute, we're so passionate about diet, and then we walk through Panera Bread and those brownies with the little powdered sugar, half, you know, diamond shape on them, we're like, ah, I really want to lose weight, but I want that brownie more. And so, to God be the glory, I'll take the brownie, right? And, and, and so, we, we change, right? We think about the beach, and we're like, I, I got to get on a diet, right? And then we go to Oakmont Bakery, and we're like, forget the diet, And and God is not like that. Praise God. He is not like that. If he purposes to do something, he will accomplish his purposes no matter what. And no matter who stands against his purposes, he will accomplish his will. Friends, that's our God. And he deserves worship for this because he's so unlike us in this way. We are so tied to our Uh, energy and tiredness and resolve and circumstances and situations and health, and yet God doesn't change. And friends, He doesn't expect us to be like Him in this way. And isn't that good news? He knows that we're dust, is what the Scripture says. He knows our frame. He understands that we are 100% in need And so you know what that means? It's okay to be needy. In fact, if you come to God and say, I don't need you, friends, that is the worst position in the world you could take. You are not self-sustaining. And for you to admit that and come to God humbly and say, I am dependent on you for life and breath and salvation and forgiveness and mercy and grace and purpose and on and on and on, that's when God shows up for you. And so, let me ask you, has this Yahweh, I am, has He come to you in this way yet? Or are you still on the outside of the door or the outside of the window looking in? Friends, you need a Moses moment with God. You need Him more than you realize you need Him. I need Him more than I realize I need Him. So God is not in the process of, of change. He is not evolving. He, he is not progressing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 is a text you could put to that. Number four, God is eternal in his existence, meaning he is uncreated. Now, now, for us, we can't imagine an uncreated being because we were created. Like, if I go back to 1978, I did not exist. That's weird. <laughs> and, and at some point, like, like right around like the turn of, of 79 and 78, I came into being at some, at some point, right? In 1980, in September, I, I came to breathe oxygen for the first time. I know what it's like to be born into the world and not exist prior to. But friends, what is it like to have always existed? We we have no idea. But that's what we're told, this Yahweh, I am, that's who he is. He's uncreated. He is, there's nothing above him or outside him at some point. 
Everything else came to be because He spoke it into existence, even the unseen realm of angels and living creatures and watchers and whatever else is out there that we can't see. It's not a contradiction to have always existed. It is a contradiction for everything to come out of nothing. But it's not, we don't understand how something could have always been, but that's who God is. And then, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, boom, 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 it's unpacked. So just because we can't understand how a being could always have been, that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means you can't understand it. And rightly so. Maybe if God tried to help you understand it, it would explode your little brain. Just like if you came to me and tried to explain complex, you know, quantum physics, I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about because I'm not a quantum physicist, right? It'd be like me trying to explain the Greek language to my five-year-old and how the nuances of the grammar work. He'd be like, Give me Paw Patrol, baby. <laughs> That's what he would say. <laughs> Give me something I can grab onto. And so God, in, in a very real way, gives us what we can grab onto. But even at that, have you ever read his revelation and been like, I have no idea what this means? Right? Often, Bible scholars who've read this thing in the original language and have studied scholars who have studied it and wrote about it feel the same way. And so you're, you're in good company. And so this revelation of God is enough to keep us studying and digging deeper for the rest of our lives. God is eternal. He has always existed, and He always will exist. And we can worship Him for that. The eternal Lord of the universe, Yahweh, revealed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While each of these points is true, Harris goes on to say, the main focus in this passage is on the Lord's promise to be with Moses and his people. The word translated I am can also be understood and translated I will be, as we've shown here in the, in the footnote. Given the context of 3.12, I will be with you, the name of Yahweh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is also a clear reminder of God's promise to His people and of His help for them to fulfill their calling. In each of these cases, the personal name of God as revealed to Moses expresses something essential about the attributes and character of God. Now, for us, names are not as big a deal as they were when this was being written. Hey, especially in the Old Testament, names characterized you or defined you. They meant something about you. You know, for us, it's like top 10 baby names on Google. And you're like, oh, I like number eight. That's how we do names. That's not how it worked back then. And so, God's name here defines who He is. And the I am is existence itself. It is saying that I am God and there is none like me. And yet, friends, this is amazing you can have a relationship with that God. 
In fact, he wants to have a relationship with you, just like he wants to have a relationship with Moses. He came to Moses to find him. Moses wasn't going looking for God, at least that we know of. And so, has God come to you and revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus? I hope and pray he has. And if not, friends, I urge you, keep coming. Keep putting yourself around this good news of Jesus. Keep putting yourself under the Word of God, explained and taught and sung and prayed. And so, God reveals Himself. I am what I am, or I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. Tell them that I am has sent you, the God of your fathers. Now, that's amazing. Moses knows who he is. He knows he's a Levite. He knows he's from the tribe of Levi. He knows that he came from one man named Abraham who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes. Moses knows this. And so God says, I am that God who spoke to your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and revealed myself to him. And now, Moses, I'm here to reveal myself to you and to your people. It's time for me to open up myself in a greater way and let you see more of who I am, beyond what Abraham saw, beyond what Isaac saw, beyond what Jacob saw. I'm going to display my power in ways that you could never imagine, Moses. And he will. Now, let's move on to the next verse here. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pause there. Now, Moses is to go to the elders. Now, the elders are not like New Testament elders, though New Testament elders do gather the flavor of elderness from the ancient Old Testament elders. Okay, the elders were like the heads of families. They were the respected leaders of the tribes. They were ones who would judge cases, and, and hard things would be brought before them, like counselors. If you hire a counselor and you want to bring something before them and get their counsel, these were the elders. And so, interestingly, we, we often think of Moses standing before Pharaoh with Aaron by himself, but here we're going to learn that the elders are also supposed to go with Moses. It's interesting. Okay, go and gather the elders together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. In other words, God sees how you've been being treated for 400 years. I see. And I, and I just want to say to you, friends, this is great comfort. God is the God who sees us in our afflictions. He, he is not unseeing. He is not unaware. He is not unconcerned. He, he cares and He sees. 
The trouble we have is no one wants to sit under affliction or trial or trouble. We want out of it immediately, right? I do. And yet God is purposeful to allow affliction, trial, and trouble to do its work in us. It's like a tool in God's hands, and that's hard for us, admittedly. But because we're experiencing trial and trouble and affliction does not mean that God is opposed to us because here He is for His people, and yet they are under this trial and affliction. And He's going to act. And Moses is to tell these elders, look, God sees where you're at and the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob is about to come to pass. I have not forgotten. I know it's been over 400 years, but I've not forgotten what I promised. And so, what will I do? I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that phrase, milk and honey, is, is parabolic. It's metaphor for a rich land where it's lush and, and vegetation and a beautiful land where, where flocks and herds can graze and the trees produce abundant fruit. Hey, I, Uganda is like this. You, you, those of you who've been there, you know this. You can look out in Uganda because of, of the situation of the lake, uh, Lake Victoria and, and the Nile running through it and, and the rainy season. I mean, you can, at least in the north, stand and do a 360 and all you will see is mango trees. And I'm not joking. Anywhere you go. It's amazing. Papayas and it's just amazing the amount of fruit. Banana trees just growing wildly on the side of the road. It's amazing. And I imagine that that is what this land flowing with milk and honey would be like. Just abundant food everywhere you look. A land of abundance instead of a land of scarcity. Pointing ultimately back to the garden where there was no lack, there was no need, there was only fruitfulness and so God is promising a good land flowing with abundance instead of this land of affliction and trial and trouble that you've been experiencing. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. So who will? The elders. The elders will listen to your voice, Moses. And you, look, and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Did you ever notice that? So, so it's Moses and the elders are supposed to go as a crew <laughs> to Pharaoh. You and the elders shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our God. Now, let's, let's think very quickly about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These elders would have understood what he was saying. They knew who they were. They understood why they were in Egypt. And I guarantee you they remember this promise here from the last chapter of Genesis. This is Joseph speaking. Remember, Joseph is the reason why the Israelites were there in the first place. He understood a prophetic dream stored up tons of grain in Egypt, and all the lands had to come to Egypt to buy 
uh, grain and sustenance from Joseph. And so Joseph brings all of his brothers and his father Israel to this land of Egypt. And so now Joseph is about to die, and he's saying to his children, to his brothers, his fellow Israelites, I am about to die, but God will visit you. He will. He will visit you, and he will bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. This is going to happen, and you shall Swear to me you're going to do this. You shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, if you trace the story, they do bring his bones up out of Egypt in the coffin, and, and he appears in, in Joshua as well. Uh, the coffin is there in, in the books of Moses and beyond. And so... They knew from this promise of Joseph and the coffin being there and the promise being that God will visit you and he will come to deliver you is not a secret to these Hebrews, these Jewish men, women, and children under slavery. Now, I also want to just look at something really quickly. Amazingly, they are supposed to go to the king of Egypt. Look at verse 18. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now, the Pharaoh does not know who this God is. He thinks himself a God. He knows the gods of Egypt. And they are supposed to go, and they are supposed to say, hey, the, the, our God the God of our people has met with us, and He wants us to go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice. We, we need to go and worship. He has appeared to us, and we're supposed to go worship Him, and so you need to let us go for three days. Now, think about this. If you have a whole ethnicity enslaved, you must think very little about their God or gods. You know, if you're in Egypt, you're you think that there's a lot of gods controlling the physical world. And so if this God of the slaves was at all powerful, why would they be under my hand? Right? And, so, and, and, and so it's amazing, now think about this, that God would identify with this broken and helpless people. Think about that. The God of the universe, self-existent, eternal, immutable or unchangeable is identifying with an enslaved, helpless, powerless people. He is willing to be their God, the God of the Hebrews. Friends, I hope you see yourself in that. Let's look at a few verses. Psalm 38, 6, for though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. Now, this is lowly in heart. You, you can be very wealthy and very up on the socioeconomic and position ladder in, in the economy and at your job, but you could still be lowly in heart. You can. It's hard, but you can. But it also means the lowly, the broken, the busted, those whose IQs are not at the top of the charts, 
those who are not wealthy and powerful in society, those who are not regarded as great, the lowly. Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. Think about that. Just like these Hebrew slaves. But the haughty, He knows from afar. Now, haughty does not mean an attractive, young, you get the point. It means arrogant. It means prideful. It means you think you're something. It means you shake someone's hand and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. You've probably heard about me. (laughs) Have you seen my social media posts? They're numerous, and I have many followers, right? (laughs) And you think you're something. That's being haughty. And, And the idea is God has a repelling nature towards haughtiness. He despises pride. Now, if you've read Mere Christianity, which every Christian should, that's like a sin, you know, with a small s, small s, and I would encourage you to repent if you haven't read it. God will not condemn you, but I will. (laughs) If you've not read Mere Christianity, because it's just loaded with quotes and goodness, and probably if you know any Lewis, it came from that book. I, I can almost guarantee it. But Lewis in that book talks about pride as the chief sin. In fact, he says all other sins in comparison are mere flea bites. And he says pride is the one that got all the other ones going. And he's talking about the fall of Lucifer, Satan. But for us, especially in June, baby, pride's a good thing. Right? Meanwhile, God says, pride is the sin that I hate. And amazingly, he draws near to the lowly of heart, but he stiff arms the proud. Now, if you're a Christian and you're prideful, friends, you're just asking to be humbled. You are. And, and I'm not, it's not a threat, it's just true. If you're a Christian and you're an arrogant Christian, those things actually don't go together. Arrogant Christian. Yeah, those guys are the arrogant Christians. We're the humble Christians. That's a very arrogant statement, by the way. I'm so humble, you should learn from me. And so here, the Lord comes near to the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now, he knows all things. He knows all people. He sustains all people. We just mentioned that in him we live and move and have our being. But the idea is God is drawing near to the lowly. Let's move on. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, for thus says the Holy One, that's God, the Holy One, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. Think about that phrase. He inhabits or dwells in, he lives in eternity. Whose name is holy with a capital H. He says, I dwell, quote, see the quotes, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. That's amazing. I am the holy one who inhabits eternity and I dwell there. You cannot approach But I also dwell with the lowly and the contrite of heart. That means you know who you are, a sinner in need of a Savior. You know you need mercy. You know you're in trouble without God. 
coming to you as a merciful and gracious Savior. What does this God do to the lowly and contrite? To revive the spirit of the lowly. We all need revival, personally. No doubt Wilkinsburg needs it, Pittsburgh needs it, the United States needs it, the entire West needs it, but you need it, and I need it. Friends, we need revived by the Spirit of God, new life breathed into us continuously, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Ray Ortland Jr. is one of my theological heroes. He says this in his commentary on Isaiah. Listen to this. Where is God? In two places. He dwells in the high and holy place where we can't go. And he dwells among the lowly and contrite where we can go. So the way to find God is obvious. Humble yourself and he will find you. What, what a great encouragement for us to humble ourselves. You know that the Bible actually tells us to do so because we won't naturally do it. The Bible never says, breathe and don't forget to breathe. Eat and don't forget to eat. Drink and don't forget to drink. But it does say, humble yourself. What does that mean? It means we have to do that or we won't be humble, right? All right, let me continue with Ray. Ray then goes on to say, God is not like us. For us, there's no neighborhood too classy for us to move up to, if only we can afford it. But God doesn't value upward mobility. He values downward mobility. Not because he feels uncomfortable dwelling in the high and holy place, but because down low is where he finds the people who are open to him. Would it hurt us to lower ourselves? Not if God is there. Lowliness is the humility that admits where I really belong is at the bottom. What I deserve is to be a nobody. That is so liberating. Life opens up then. Unquote. Friends, imagine that, that if God has two addresses, the one is closed off to you, the high and holy, filling eternity, but this other one, the door's open, and it's not locked. Where is that address? It is with the lowly spirit and with the contrite heart. That should be encouraging. And so, friends, if you find yourself feeling broken and contrite and lowly and nothing and in need, friends, you can walk right into God's front door. Isn't that amazing? He's not saying, get it together, then come find me. He says, get low and I'll come find you. Amen. Let's, let's look at one more. Last chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Speaking of the temple. And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit 
and trembles at my word. Where do we find God's word? In the Bible. And so that means that, that God draws near to, He looks to people who are humble and who love the Bible in such a way where they don't just memorize it and can spit it back or use it in a theological fight or be great debaters, those who tremble under it. In other words, they seek to obey it. They seek to say, I am in need if I'm going to live like this. And they lower themselves and ask for help. I believe, help my unbelief. God, I want to live this way, but I can't. I need you. And God's like, that's my man. That's my girl. I'm coming in. Friends, it's been said before, but it's a great quote. All you need with God is need. All you need is need. And he will fill that need. But if you feel like you don't need him, that's a bad place to be. And I would suggest that you might be a little more prideful and arrogant than you think. Peter in the New Testament says it like this, humble yourselves. It's another one, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, notice the contrast, it's always high and mighty, you humble yourself. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And then look what you can do. You can cast all your anxieties. One translation says cares. Cast all your anxieties. Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you believe God cares for you? The Bible says he does. And the passage we just read says he will look to you if you believe his word. And here his word is saying he cares for you. And so if you're prone to say no one cares Friends, God does. Will you put yourself under that word and believe it? Will you believe that the God of the universe, self-existent, eternal, always has been and always will be, actually cares about you? The word says he does. And so we must believe it. And if you don't sense that, I would encourage you, pray, oh God, give me a sense that you actually care for me. Let me know it deep in my inner being, in my soul, that you care for me. And so let's finish with these last verses. God already knows what's going to happen when the elders and Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so what, what God is going to do here in verse 19 is... He is going to use the arrogance and pride of Pharaoh, and he's going to pull back any mercy and grace that he would have on him to humble him. It's called hardening. We'll get there eventually. And he's going to display his great power and majesty, not only to Pharaoh, not only to the Egyptians, but also to the Israelites, and thus he is going to reveal himself. This not letting you go and this mighty hand will give God an opportunity to reveal himself for who he really is. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Now verse 20 has 
plagues packed into it. It has verbal battles. It has death threats. It has real death. There's a lot in that verse 20. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That's grace, by the way. Favor, grace. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall Put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Uh, plundering is what the winning nation did to the conquered nation. Like when you read the Old Testament and, and the Jewish people go to battle, whether the Philistines or the Amorites or any other nation, when, when, when the, the dead soldiers are laying there, they go and they plunder. What does that mean? They take the stuff. They go in the tents and they take the treasures. They take off the armor. They go in and reach in and get the wallet. And that's what it is to plunder. And so here the promise is, you're not going to have to do any fighting. I'm going to go to war for you. And you're going to plunder the Egyptians. That's what he's saying here. And all you're going to have to do is ask. And they will gladly give it. Now, this is prophesied, believe it or not. This, this was already foretold to Abraham before he even had a son. This is the story when God comes to Abraham and, and he appears and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But, verse 14, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Silver, gold, clothing, riches, wealth. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here, the very place where this is happening, in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, amazingly, God's going to judge the Amorites, but he's like, it's going to take about another 400 years for them to reach their pinnacle of wickedness before I destroy them. <laughs> That's grace. That's mercy. I'm going to give you 400 years to get worse, but then I'm coming. <laughs> and he does. That's, that's the... That's the conquering of the land and taking possession of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. This points to the fact that God is the creator of all things. And though he does give us stewardship, ownership over stuff, everything is actually his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and its inhabitants, that's man, woman, child, and animal. They're all his. And, and the grounding of that is, for he laid the foundations on the seas and on the rivers. You remember that in Genesis? He was hovering over the Spirit. The Spirit was hovering over the, the waters, and he brought land out of the waters. That's what that's pointing to. God the Creator, and because he's created it, everything is his. Now, let's finish with this. God is revealing himself here to Moses. And I've argued that you need to have a Moses-like moment. 
Amazingly, if we were to jump thousands of years into the New Testament, the revelation gets even clearer. It's almost like watching old movies from the 80s or 70s and then flipping on one that came out in 2024. And you're like, wow, what clarity. It's amazing, okay? So let's go to John real quick. We read it earlier, but you might not have read it in this context. Jesus is arguing with a hostile crowd here. And he says, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? And so Jesus is here claiming that Moses wrote about him. And if we were to jump just a few more chapters, it gets even clearer. Jesus, again, arguing with a hostile crowd. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Wait a minute. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you realize what Jesus just said to them? Because they understood. Thus the picking up of the stones to kill him. He was saying, hey, that burning bush incident, that was me. Moses wrote about me. You don't believe Moses, how will you believe me? You, you see how clear the picture is getting now. This God who inhabits eternity is the Lord Jesus Christ. This God who is Yahweh, who is I am, is Jesus Christ. And talk about low. How low would this God go? Friends, low enough to die on a criminal's cross, identifying with the worst of the worst in the first century. Roman citizens wouldn't even be crucified. And yet here's the Lord of glory, the creator and sustainer of the universe, hanging on a Roman cross. But Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And as a result, because of that, God has given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so, this God who spoke to Abraham, who said, I am going to get victory 
over Pharaoh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. It's better that I go, because if I go, I will send another helper, and he will be with you, and he will empower you. The third person of Yahweh, the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father. Friends, this is our God, and he is not distant from you. He is as near as you humbling yourself and coming into his presence through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus opened the doors to heaven, and you must go through him as those doors to get in. But friends, we who are in already are waiting for that reality to dawn. And the day is getting brighter and brighter and brighter, no matter how dark your life feels right now. You must believe it by faith. And so you and I get to know this I am, this Yahweh, this God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. He is our God. And we will celebrate what he has done for us tonight by taking communion. We will remember how Yahweh became man humbled himself even to death on a cross so that through that act, through that substitutionary act, we could be forgiven and welcomed into his presence and live with him forevermore. And so as the worship team comes up and we prepare to sing, friends, hold these communion elements in your hand and we will together remember the body broken and the bloodshed of Jesus together and worship. So if you could please stand. Let's sing together. And again, hold your communion elements until after we're done singing, and I'll come out and lead us all in taking communion. Yeah. 
Amen. So what we hold here in our hands is a physical representation of the reality of God become man, of the creator become his creation, and of God identifying with us in our need as sinners. He did not die on the cross for his own sin, but for ours, taking our place. It should have been us on that cross. And yet, Jesus said, I will go that they may go free. And so we celebrate what happened there at the cross, the exchange of my sin for Jesus' righteousness. And so we, in Jesus, are safe. We are sons and daughters of Yahweh, the great I am. We can call this God our Father. We can call Jesus our brother. And we have the Spirit to empower us and to reveal more and more and more of God to us through His Word, through His church, and even through natural revelation, His creation. So let us celebrate that we are in Christ, that we have Him, and that He has us. Let's remember Jesus' body broken and bloodshed for us. Father, we thank You for this revelation that You've given us. We thank You that thousands of years ago, You revealed Yourself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, to the children of Israel, God, and thousands of years later to us. God, who are we that we should be called sons and daughters of the living God? Who are we that one day we will spend eternity with You in Your presence where there is pleasures forevermore and fullness of life? Father, I pray for each brother and sister here that You would encourage them. God, that we would not focus so heavily, intently on the troubles and trials and afflictions and challenges, but God, we would focus on You, what You have done for us, that we would tremble at Your Word in such a way where when we are troubled, when we are fearful, we would cast our cares, our anxieties on You, knowing that You do care for us, and You've proved it by sending Jesus as a substitute, that we might have You and that You might have us. Father, open our eyes to see more and to see you, and would we be changed? We love you, God. Help us to love you more. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a great evening. We'll see you next week. One last thing. Hold up. One last Before you leave, make sure you say goodbye to Adam. Today is Adam's last day with us. He's leaving. He's moving to Denver, Colorado on Friday. And so make sure you say goodbye. Adam, we love you. We're going to miss you. Um, we thank God for bringing you here these last three years. And um, we just wanted to, to say that. Make sure you say goodbye to him. Love you, brother. Going to miss you. Love you, bro.